I was saying to Aggie before, I'm a massive fan of the Egyptians. Oh, Manchester Museum has an amazing Egyptology department. Yeah. Well, I reckon I lived amongst them in a previous life. You never know. Well, me and my mate, we used to do ancient healing at festivals. I'd do the foot reading and she'd do her narrow foot. I remember the words exactly because she had them printed on a T-shirt. Narrow foot? It sounds exotic. What does it mean? Shepherd of the anus. Isn't that beautiful? The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 238 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that rings that Summer's going to have to have a long, hard think before she can agree to continue with the surrogacy plans after all this nonsense, I'm Gavin. And I have thoughts. You have thoughts? Yes. Dirty, filthy thoughts. Oh, well. <laughs> and also... Is this the right podcast? And also disappointed thoughts oh. when it comes to Coronation Street. Okay. How are you this week? I'm good. I'm good. I'm Nearly done with his book auction, getting it together and everything, and just very exciting times. And I was cataloging 60s and 70s exploitation movie posters in Turkish today, and that was fun. But you never thought you'd hear that sentence today. (laughs) Like the poster for Black Mama, White Mama, starring Pam Greer. Uh, They all uh, starred Pam Greer, didn't they? (laughs) And then, Mr. Hercules versus Karate. Anything that we've heard of? <laughs> Not in that bunch. Not in that bunch. Not in that bunch. But still, it's it's fun. And, you know, every day I'm, I'm finding things that... I'm like, oh, where the heck did they get this? Is this just shit that's just lying about? Well, people, people bring things to us. They can sign things with us. And the largest bunch comes from this guy who recently broke up with his wife and was moving away, so... It, his wife wasn't Palm Greer, was it? N- no. Okay. No. Because we'd have a scoop if that was the case. <laughs> but, like, earlier in the week, I was doing this lot of maps, and one of the maps that he had was, um, like, a survival map put out by the US military of Iran. So, you know, was it just don't go to Iran? No, if you're in Iran already, get out of Iran. And you're like stuck in the middle of nowhere, it helps you get out and it also tells you like the plants that you can eat and which ones to avoid and things oh. like that. So, and it's like where the hell did he get this? Where where did this come from? Hmm. Hmm. I wonder if they have staircases in the middle of nowhere in Iran. Probably. They have them here. Apparently they're spooky. They can be. Don't go up them. No. Remember remember uh, that uh, antique store in, in Bay City had stairs to nowhere? Oh, but these are stairs to nowhere in the middle of nowhere. Not stairs to nowhere in Bay City, <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> you mean Although it can like, feel like the middle of nowhere. 
Sorry, basically. And also not like the stairs to nowhere that are in the basement of our church. Because there's stairs to nowhere in the basement no, the of our church. No, the that you seem to be refusing to hear is in the middle of nowhere. So they're outside. Uh-huh. In the middle of nowhere in the woods. Why would there be stairs outside? Typically, typically That's it's... That's the whole point. That's why it's spooky. It, you're walking in the woods and you find a foundation in the middle of nowhere. Or well, a stove. See, a wood I, stove or I, fireplace. I think... I think this is what they are. I think they're the remnants from buildings that aren't there anymore. Right. Or art installations or just things to help people get up a little bit higher than they were before. Like, sort of thing. like that guy in Sweden who builds trolls in the middle of nowhere. Like sure. big massive trolls. Except stairs. <laughs> just like a flight of stairs. In the middle of nowhere. Apparently there's a Reddit for it, so it must be a thing. Very, very, I find them creepier. There's a creepy pasta about it. I find, as the kids, as the kids are saying, I find them creepier inside buildings, stairs to nowhere, because they used to go somewhere and now they go nowhere, and it's dark at the top because there's nowhere for light to come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, these ones are in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, the ones in our church. Underneath them is a little hidey hole where that homeless man lived for a while before they discovered that there was a homeless man living in the basement of the church, like Harry Potter, under the stairs. (laughs) Well, technically, I would think that Harry Potter, because he lived in his aunt and uncle's house, but it wasn't his home. They certainly didn't allow him to feel like it was his home. They gave him shelter and they fed him. Yeah, and also physically and mentally abused him. Yes, Probably deserved it. <laughs> anyway, shall we preamble, my dear? How was your week? Oh, who cares? <laughs> Give us some of that exploitative Corey news. <laughs> I care. I care about your week. This is the highlight of it, so. <laughs> I wouldn't ask otherwise. Molly Winnard, who played dastardly Kayla Clifton on Corey, say that three times fast. I'll make do with you saying that one time slow. (laughs) Is getting heaps of praise for her new role as Joanna Hepton on the crime drama Happy Valley on BBC One. And apparently. I've been hearing lots of good things about Happy Valley. So have I. Who knew that it was like a show quite some time ago and then had like a 12 year hiatus? And now they've come back for their last season. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. But I've been hearing really good things. So it, it tempts me to, to get on the old VPN and, uh, and visit my house in, in, in the British Isles and watch television. The last time that something had this impact uh-huh. that made me watch something religiously was The Traitors. Right. Hold on to that thought. Because Molly isn't the only Corey alum on the acclaimed drama. Sarah Lancashire, who plays Sergeant Catherine Kaywood, is no stranger to the cobbles herself, having played Raquel Watts and Wendy Farmer on Corey. She played two roles. Most people just remember her as Raquel. But she was Wendy first. And she plays like the sergeant cop yeah, person. She's a main person, isn't it? Right. But Kayla, or not Kayla, Molly... Winnard, who played Kayla, the character that she plays, is the one that has been abused and stuff. And so it's a really tough role. And apparently she's doing a cracking job at it. 
It's uh, also got, or it used to have Julie Hesmanhorn on it, who uh-huh. famously Haley. Yes. Did you <laughs> see that post somebody made that supposedly Kim Kardashian bought Haley's anorak? Is that for like one point five million dollars? <laughs> and some people believed it, and some people who follow K- Kim Kardashian, who have no, no idea what Coronation Street is, is like, what is this? This might explain our uh, peak in, in numbers this week. There was no peak in numbers. <laughs> there was week. no peak in numbers. There was one because John listened. Oh yes, <laughs> our friend John, who has not yet called tonight. I'm hoping. Not to, because we were at the Corey News part last week when he called. Right. I'm hoping that he has watched Corey Street this week. John Welch. And John Welch. To, to give us a call. That's the part that freaked me out the most, is the computer voice shouting John Welch at us. <laughs> that was creepy. And finally, the busiest working actor on the street, Mr. Jude Reardon, has announced he has a new role in the short film Hidden, directed by Paul Reardon. And produced by Cusp Films, coming to a film festival near you, hopefully. The very best of Nepo Babies in this time of Nepo Babies. I don't know what Nepo Baby is. Nepotism Baby. Okay. I still don't know what that is. So it's like actors who have famous parents or parents in the business. And that's kind of how they got an elevation enough to start their own careers. And some Nepo Babies just are Chet Hanks, but, you know, some are also Jamie Lee Curtis and Jude Reardon, two very fine actors who are worthy of all of the roles that they get. Two of my favorite actors, Jude Reardon and Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. They both start with J. One day. One day. We'll see the two of them together. Hopefully not right now, because I believe Jamie Lee Curtis still has COVID, but... And probably Halloween commitments. (laughs) And that's Corey News. Is it Halloween has ended? Just before we finish the Corey News, just a, a, a last little bit of sad breaking Corey News, oh, which no. was the, the passing away of Eliza Cowley, who played the surrogacy consultant what? lady from a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, apparently she had cancer for some time, but she, she passed away. Oh, no. Yesterday, I believe. So that was... Very young. And very recent. Yeah. That's horrible. Sad stuff. Our thoughts are with... Her family. Her family, absolutely. And friends. Yeah. Sad stuff. Absolutely. Too many young people dying these days. Or younger people. Right. And also older people, because David Crosby died and he was no no young one. Certainly not. And now, let's podcast for coffee. Thanks to Kiwi Blair for our coffees this week. <gasps> Thank you, Kiwi Blair. Does that Kiwi, that's New Zealand, yes? Correct. Or, it was a Kiwi. <laughs> that's all that I remember from that song. I, I, you, when In my youth, I was a Girl Scout counselor at a camp, and there was a girl from New Zealand who taught us lots of different songs about Kiwis and other things. <laughs> No refunds, Kiwi Blair. I'm afraid you've paid, so no refunds. Also, my friend Meg lives in New Zealand, so I like New Zealand. 
Kiwi Blair says, sometimes Corey storylines do strain your credulity. Thank goodness for the talk of the street to keep us going. Have a coffee each to keep you going. Thank you so much, Kiwi Blair. We really appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'm drinking iced tea. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a a diet, no, a Coke Zero Cherry Vanilla. Ooh, fancy. The Talk of the Street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think a show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffees by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street. And we will be very appreciative, won't we, Helen? Yes. And also, this is what happened to me this week. My former publisher... The uh-huh. former publisher of my novel, The Scotch Book of the Dead, yes. just returned seven copies of it. Right, in a hospital bag. In a bag. hospital bag. <laughs> Not creepy at all. And dumped them in a garage. And then, like, a, an hour or so after the fact, texted me and let texted me know. Texted you <laughs> about dumping my book yes. in a hospital bag in, in our my garage. garage. So this book is no longer available through Amazon, I don't think. So, if anybody wants a copy of this... It's good! Buys a coffee. There's a sinkhole in it! (laughs) Buys a coffee. Let us know if you want a copy of the book. We can get some correspondence. Give me your address and I'll send you a copy. There you go. So, with every coffee coffee bought through Ko-Fi, free book. We may ask you to help with shipping to the United Kingdom or New Zealand. There's only seven copies of it. Or Canada. Actually, Canada shouldn't be too bad. I'm sure we can swing it. Anyway. And now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about... Craig Bakes Bread. Was this this is when Craig was like getting a little stir crazy and he was baking bread until he found Dead Ted's cane and then he decided instead of baking bread he was going to search the provenance of said cane. That's right, this was Bernie, surprised to learn <laughs> that she didn't have lifted the last fiver from the cookie tin to buy a loaf of bread. I was Gavin and you were Alina Teeny Weenie. I don't know what that was. I don't either. <laughs> Good stuff. We were starting to get cocky about avoiding the COVID. Check yes. back in three or four months' time to see how that worked out. I'm still cocky. I am no longer cocky. <laughs> Even with Joseph Holm, Chesney and Gemma's woes continue, while Bernie stumbles upon a potential solution to their problems, Amy is inspired to take action on Summer's upskirt incident and gets creative with a tin of paint and a school wall. Yasmin remains unmoved by apologies from Alia and Zidane and calls on some agency staff to help homeless you cope with Speeddal's legendary lunchtime rush. Craig busies himself while he's stuck at home by spying on his friends and neighbours and driving his flatmates mad. Cinco Leo gets tickets for a gig and introduces Jenny to his awful housemates. Remember those awful housemates? Oh God, they were so awful. Which makes Jenny worry about the age difference. I miss them. They were that awful? Well, because look at what we have now. Right. 
Tim still can't find the right moment to tell Sally about his health issues while her imagination runs riot and takes drastic measures to keep tabs on her husband's whereabouts. Peter's t-shirt has a two in it. <laughs> Bryn hasn't seen Caris's trousers. And Hope invests in sweeties. Our moment of the week was Amy leading Summer, Asha and Addy in their protests against the school's attitude to upskirting. And our boring moment of the week was Summer's Instagram open letter. Oh, I remember that. Oh, God. Jeez. The signs were there. The signs the were signs there. The signs have always been there. Yes. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. This time, last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Well, I suppose we'd better. Let's start this week's festivities. Yes. With Summer Shandy. Really? Mm-hmm. We gotta start with this shit? Yep. All right. <laughs> on Monday, Summer has spent overnight in a nursery and has smeared fuck you Mike in her own shit on the walls. <laughs> if only. She shouts to Mike that she needs insulin or she's going to die. Mike doesn't believe her or doesn't want to believe her and tells her that he can't risk her talking to Esther by letting her out. Yeah. What is the long game here, Mike? Because you can't leave her in that nursery forever. He seems to realise this a little later on. Yeah, yeah. And also, she doesn't need to just eat something, which is another thing he says, and then doesn't give her anything to eat and gives her an energy drink instead. Is that what that was? It's like... I thought it was a small tin of paint. (laughs) You might as well finish painting the nursery while you're in here. Oh, God. Where is the, where is the Mike of yesteryear? Because the Mike, when he was giving Billy a bit of swagger, <laughs> seemed to have a bit of knowledge about him. It, it, didn't, it never seemed to be a, a fool. No, he seemed but, to... but at several points during this, he's a complete moron. He is so stupid. It, it, it makes Summer look smart. Meanwhile, Aaron has gone to see Billy. He's worried because he hasn't seen Summer and Billy has no idea where she is either. No one's seen her for days, it turns out. When Billy checks the insulin app, he sees that the reading was high last night and now there's nothing. Nothing. Which does not make sense because her her phone is dead. Her phone being dead should not affect the app. Well, let me think about this. Because the monitor is on her body. Not on her phone. So her phone dying shouldn't affect other people who have the app. So her phone essentially is a cell phone. Her, her, her uh, yeah, monitor. Yeah, her smartphone, yeah. But the, but the monitor, the pump thing, is broadcasting. Right. But it's not just broadcasting to her phone. It's broadcasting to Billy and Aaron's phones as well. And presumably then all phones. Well, no, because you have to give permission. Yeah. Right. But if you had the permission, you would pick up the signal. Right. So her phone being dead should not have cut off Billy's signal is what, or Aaron's signal is what I'm saying. And, and yet somehow it has later because writers on this show don't understand technology. I can, I can, I can give them a pass that they don't care about that. No, because then it would be a big, huge, massive plot hole. Later. Summer hasn't spent any of her time finishing painting the nursery. Damn it, Summer. Mike shouts that he can't let Esther find out about his baby boy. He insists his heart is breaking for everyone in this situation and everyone is pretty much sucking here, especially Summer. Mike realises that he's kind of up to his tits in all this now but gives her a tin of juice just as he notices Aaron coming up the driveway. 
So Mike intercepts Aaron at the door and tells him that Summer isn't there. She's off into town with Esther. And Aaron takes us at, at face value and turns and walks well, away. in fairness, Aaron does say, okay, well, give me Esther's number. Why doesn't he have Esther's number already? Esther was going to buy his baby. He should have her number. And also later on, Billy should have her number because the, Billy's her vicar person. I also think that Mike should probably be able to recite Esther's number. But he doesn't want to give. He doesn't want to give right. the number because then his lie would be found mm-hmm. out. Right. But that Aaron does seem to twig that it's weird that he won't give her him her number. Summer that he should already have. her plimsoll on the window again, but it's too little, too late. And her vision goes that wonky way it does before she passes out. So when Mike goes to her next, she's flat out on the nursery floor. He panics, doesn't call 999, and is shoveling sugar into her mouth <laughs> when Esther comes back. He's dabbing sugar on her lips. He doesn't even have her mouth pried open. It's just dabbing it on her because you can see it you can see the sugar on her lips later on and it's like what are you doing <laughs> what is going now what to is be fair if you were to collapse in a diabetic coma right which would never happen i wouldn't know what to do but you wouldn't dab sugar on my lips i wouldn't dab condiments on your lips no, <laughs> no. You the would, sugar's not worked. Where's the gravy granules? <laughs> Let's try the gravy granules. You would call an ambulance. Yes. Back at Billy's, something about his exchange with Mike doesn't sit right with Aaron, and he tells Billy and Paul that something's rotten here. Meanwhile, Esther's taking charge of the situation, calls Mike a fucking idiot, and calls an ambulance, warning Mike if Summer dies, it's his fault. And I'm like, yeah, I think we're all clear on this. <laughs> well, I don't know. Mike kind of doesn't seem all that clear. Billy and Aaron are so concerned about Summer that they go to the cafe for a sausage sandwich. (laughs) Then Todd comes in and eventually tells them about what he found out last week about Ava. And this raises their suspicion so much they order another round of coffees. So Summer is rushed into hospital, Mike giving Summer's name as <clears throat> Davina Latte. <laughs> what the fuck? And the Oscar goes to <laughs> Davina Latte. For La La Land. <laughs> uh, apparently an orphan friend of theirs through the church, which makes me wonder if there really is a Davina Latte that's an orphan that goes to the church. Because why would you why would you think Davina Latte? Why would I, that be the first name that comes to your mind? I don't understand why Esther is a, is going along with this is the problem because she's already twigged that it's that he's a fucking idiot who almost <laughs> killed this eighteen year old girl by dabbing sugar on her lips. <laughs> Aggie, though, thankfully she's working all the hours God sends, so she's yeah. there and she sees it and she gets on the phone to Billy. Just as soon as she's had a spot of lunch. Right, yes, because earlier in the episode, Aggie bumped into Todd on the street and they had a conversation where Todd said, have you seen Summer? Because we're looking for Summer and we're very concerned. Mm. Which is like the first time Todd and Aggie have had a conversation in like 
years. In front of her, probably. Right, yes. And Todd makes a tasteless joke about telling Aggie that they're full up, so slow down on killing people oh, in yeah. the hospital. Yeah, don't be killing Hilarious. anybody, Aggie. Hilarious. Billy, Paul, and Aaron land on the hospital, and Aggie explains about the weird couple who brought Summer in, and just at that, Mike and Esther arrive from the coffee machine, and they have a lot of explaining to do. Well, no, they... They're back from the cafeteria because the coffee machine, well, as you rightly pointed out, was out of order. is out of order. <laughs> Mike says that Aggie must have misheard, but Aggie's still there and says, I don't fucking think so, pal. And you can check the notes if you want any clarity on this. Because the doctor wrote down Davida Latte on all the forms. Latte as in the coffee? Yes. <laughs> yes. Davina as in Davina McCall? Yes. Yes. Todd arrives and in the ensuing arguments, he tells Esther about Mike's secret love child. And before she storms off, she tells the dads that Mike imprisoned Summer in the nursery. Todd, Billy, Paul and Aaron are allowed to see Summer later, who is talking to the police about calling off the surrogacy after she found out about the affair. She tells the gang that she was worried that she was going to die. Never a dull moment, says Billy. And they all laugh. Ha! Scooby-dooby-doo! <laughs> this reminds me... <laughs> There was something very scooby about that shot of Summer in bed with right. everyone standing round about it. It reminded me of that time. My mom was in a parade and she fell off of the farm cart that she was riding to the parade and then the farm cart ran her over. Yeah, hilarious. Because this is, this is exactly the mood with her in the hospital. We were like... Only you, Bob. And then she started singing Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Only she sang Grandma Got Run Over by a Farm Cart. And we all laughed and laughed about the fact that my mother was in the hospital because she got run over by a farm cart. scooby dooby doo <laughs> On Wednesday, Billy, Aaron and Paul are with someone in the hospital when the police arrive, explaining that a complaint has been made against her for extorting money for a baby that didn't exist. Billy protests her innocence, but Summer has to look shifty as fuck because she's guilty as hell about this. Right, right, but <laughs> apparently everyone has forgotten that this wasn't the legal surrogacy that we're talking about. This is the illegal attempt mm -hmm. of Mike and Esther to buy a baby. Mm -hmm. So why? So first of all, there's that. And second of all, no matter what Summer did, that doesn't that doesn't cancel out Mike kidnapping her and almost killing her in a nursery. No, but one the fact shouldn't that cancel out the other. And the way that the the way that the cop is like, well, we're looking into it, but they're telling a very different story. Well, both things have to be investigated, right? Because both people have broken the law here. One is a little bit more serious than the other, right? But and still, but also, those people in confet in throwing summer under the bus or the farm cart, if you will, <laughs> no, are also, no, the bus are also throwing themselves under the bus because they were trying to illegally buy a baby. That's two strikes against them, and nobody seems to care here. Later in the community garden, Paul confides in Todd about the allegations against Summer. Todd blames himself for her incarceration at Mike's hands. Paul promises not to let Summer down again. Back in the hospital, Billy's on Tinder. When he goes off for a sandwich, <laughs> it turns out Mike has been lurking behind the curtains and he makes his move when the did, coast is clear. How, how long did, has he been standing there? How did Billy not 
not see him because like it was almost immediate him coming around that corner. That's why it was a curtain. That is why Billy was definitely on the Tinder. His mind was elsewhere. And also his Bobby. He apologizes for what he did, but says that she wasn't innocent in all this. She claims that she wasn't trying to get money out of them for a baby that didn't exist. Let's call it quits and retract her statement, says Mike, but Summer tells them to go to hell. She really does. And then for some reason, Mike closes the curtains and tries to talk around while insisting that he's not going to hurt her. But why did you close the curtains? And he closed the curtains so that Todd could pull the curtain back and be surprised to see Mike. When the curtain could have been closed because the doctor's examining Summer or whatever, but Todd just throws the curtains open. I think Todd heard Mike's voice. Hmm. I and think you're giving him way more benefit also, than, than he deserves. Mike there. was most definitely threatening her, so that's why he closed the curtain. Where is the staff in this hospital? Where's Aggie? Who She's let him in? Lunch. Mike does a runner. Paul and Todd give chase, and they end up chasing Mike back to his house. Paul kind of threatens Mike. Mike basically explains that Summer had the upper hand and was playing him and Esther for mugs. Oh, yes. And then he calls Paul a paedophile. So Paul pushes him down, <laughs> causing Mike to bash his head on the doorstep <laughs> and a potential headwind of the week. Headwind? After week? Well, yes. This is possibly a our potential. headwind. It's our potential headwind of the week. Okay. It was definitely the headwind of Wednesday. So... Max and Alia get blown out of vehicles by bombs and mm. are fine. Alia walks home. But people people get pushed and are immediately down for the count. Well, you know what it's like, Helen. When you get pushed, you never put your hands out to break your fall. Right. No, of course not. Especially when you're near your es- own doorstep. Right. And especially when you're when your head is heading towards the brick. Yeah, step off the doorstep right yeah. yes this is it's it's like bombs are not dangerous but other people's hands pushing you forward but it, it, it it's just like it's just like with homeless Stu's daughter who murdered someone by hitting them over the head with a ceramic dog well remembered <laughs> But bombs can't kill you. Only ceramic dogs and Paul. That's what the song says. (laughs) That had to have been one of the least uh, suspenseful cuts to break that there's been. Because one, Mike's not dead. And two, even if he was, I don't care. Right. Yeah, because he starts stirring right then instead of waiting until after the commercial break. Who's writing this stuff? So Todd calls an ambulance, and then he and Paul jump back into Paul's van and drive off, leaving Mike to bleed out. Ed's van, if we're going to be specific. Sure. Back in the hospital, Billy finally gets back with his fucking sandwiches. Summer explains what happened and then announces that she's caused nothing but grief. Sandwich? Offers Billy. Egg and cress. In the pub, Todd realises that this whole affair must have been triggering for Paul after the whole Kel stuff. Paul admits that it's always on his mind, and always has been except for when he was with Billy. Gulp, says Todd. Yes. And back home, Aaron can't believe that all this happened. Yeah, neither can I. Summer wonders if this means that she has to cancel her fertility appointment for tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Leaving the pub, Paul and Todd run into the cops who have seen the van near the scene of a brutal assault. 
Paul yeah, is in brutal. the middle of shouting about how Mike had it coming when Todd takes responsibility, calling it a moment of madness, and so the cops arrest Todd and cut him off. On Friday, Esther has turned up at Billy's flat to tell him that Mike has dropped the extortion charge against Summer, but still wants to get Todd done for assault. Seems she and Mike are no longer an item, would you believe? Hmm. Summer, wearing a jumper that makes her look like a Teletubby nightmare, begs <laughs> Esther to convince Mike to let it go. And I forgot to mention in the previous scene that this was a nice little bit of development for Todd right. to do something that was selfless right, and something that's a kind of compensation for how badly he's treated Paul and Billy in the past. Right. That this is this is kind of payback for, right. for being that shit And back. it also means that Todd and Paul are totally going to hook up. You think so? And fuck. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's what that means. That's totally what that it's means. It's a tale as old as time. Yes. So Todd gets out of the jail and is back on the street to find that George is furious with him and accusing him of tarnishing the business's reputation. And he just lets Paul go. Says, you mean Todd? What did I say? You said Paul. He lets Paul go as well. <laughs> then Paul appears and tries to talk Todd, George round, but Todd tells Paul to leave it. Just you leave it. And in his roles, Summer pleads Todd's case to George, but he's still not for budging. Bernie correctly wonders what Eileen will say about all this, and yes. George shuts his breeks a little bit, but still sticks to his guns. So Paul sits down and comes clean. I can't wait for Eileen to come back with a lovely tan. <laughs> right. Later, George finds a drunken Todd in the rovers and apologises now that he knows the truth from Paul. Todd did it because he owed Paul, but it turns out Paul is on his way to the Nick to confess himself. So Todd runs after Paul, stops him at the tram stop. They agree that Summer needs them both in their lives and her life, just as Summer arrives after speaking with Craig, who has probably ignored all the protocols <laughs> to tell her that Mike has dropped the assault charges against Todd. Right. Plus, Off Summer screen. has some exciting news to share later. Oh no, and is she pregnant again? Back at the flat, the exciting news is that she's going to reapply for university. Billy is cock-a-hoop. Nothing says reapply to Oxford like being kidnapped by the bloke you were going to surrogate for after you defrauded him and his wife by selling them a miscarried baby so you could pay for your boyfriend's alcoholic dad's rehab that he didn't want. In fairness, the baby wasn't miscarried yet when they got their first payment. But for their second payment, it was. True. Later, George goes to see Todd at Eileen's and tells him that he's a good guy now for what he did for Paul. And he's got his job back. I'm really confused because the house is dark and George says, what are you doing here? And Todd says, mom asked me to water the plants. Mm -hmm. And George said, well, she asked me too. And everybody seems to forget that Sean and Mary also live in that house. Mm -hmm. Where are they? Are they okay? Because they live there so they can water the plants. <sighs> Are they? Where's Mary? Because we do see Sean later. We don't see Mary at all this week. Is she okay? I assume so. So that's Has as far as we get with something that to Mary. Line. That's all I care about. Yes. So everything that's happened after <laughs> Summer saying that she isn't going to go to university has led back to her going to university after we all. We can essentially ignore all that. It's the season of Dallas when. Bobby's in the shower. <laughs> I was hoping for something to develop out of this, but I was hoping for it not to be 
someone just deciding to go back to Oxford or apply for Oxford. Presumably she's applying for Oxford, even though she didn't have the grades and she cheated her exams and all that sort of stuff. Right, yeah. So when she have to take those exams again? Oh, God, remember that? How bad that was? Oh, that was terrible. She, she nearly got Addie into trouble. Right. Because... Because the the racist people in that school were believing her over over the brown kid. Right. Huh. That would have been a storyline worth exploring racism in the schools. I mean, let's be fair to the to the show. It did give us some summer lines that were I'm glad that she's saying this. I'm glad she was saying that she's caused nothing but grief for yes. everyone. I'm glad she said she's been so stupid. Yes. Because she has. She has been for months now. Yes. I don't like people saying to her, oh, no, no, it's okay. And Billy was kind of the worst for it. Yes. And he's typically the worst for it. Just ignoring everything that's gone on, basically. Right, yeah, and not being... And keeping on calling her, uh, oh, she was a, she's a child and she's been... Manipulated. Manipulated. She's an adult. She's 18 years old. Right. Yeah, that prefrontal cortex still hasn't sealed, though. But he's been a bad dad. The, 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 the things that he's saying makes him a bad dad and a bad vicar. Neither, neither, neither one of his two jobs are, are coming into play in this storyline. They will sort of come into play in another storyline. Oh, but with a with- bag load of irony thrown at it. <laughs> Right, yes, and also bad results. Hmm. <laughs> right. But we'll get to that. Another death on your conscience, Billy. Mm. <sighs> there were so many bits about that hospital scene from Wednesday that just was... Mike appearing out of nowhere. Right. Some are saying that she wasn't trying to get money out of them from a baby that didn't exist, when she absolutely was. The baby existed, it was just dead. I don't know, I don't know if I'd be paying money for that. No, no, definitely not. But, I mean, let's not forget the sugar dabbed on her lips on Monday. And just every face Mike pulled this week, every single face that Mike pulled this week put Steve's Muppet face to shame. I don't know how fast uh, Paul was driving that van. But he fairly gained ground yes. driving back to a house that he doesn't know where it is. Mm-hmm. Because when Mike was still locking his car in his own driveway yes. and Paul was right behind him. But yes. that little jumpy surprise when he noticed it. <laughs> oh, he just, this is what the show does, though. It has characters that are... That are Terrible. Re- reasonably intelligent people. Or give give an impression of being that way when it when it suits them, but just the easiest way to wind stories down is to make people idiots and do idiotic things. He was already kind of an idiot. That that one time he stood up to Billy was more because Esther was there. But think I think that- it's it's more Esther than than Mike, who is the smart one, and he just it fortifies him to have her around. And every time, 
every time he said that stupid thing about, oh, I lied to you to protect you because you were so frail. You wouldn't have been able to withstand the fact that not only did I sleep with another woman, but I got her pregnant, too. Mm. You know, it's like she's not wearing a corset. She's not going to faint. You don't need to get the smelling salts out. Or the sugar dabs. She's she's not this fragile little flower. She's a grown woman. And I don't know. I think before that it had a it had a sense of being a kind of Machiavellian character and having some kind of scheme in mind here and again then it just kind of fell to pieces. Again, it it kind of felt like it was when he was when he was joined with Esther that he was Machiavellian because she was Machiavellian as well. But then once... She's coming out of this smelling pretty well. She is. She is, which is... Not to show how happy I'm about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because she was creepy as hell. Remember the fetal monitor that she just whipped out of her bag and said, I'm going to put this on your belly. She had she had the baby fever big time. Yeah, that was really creepy. Anyway. Oh, well, it seems to be over for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll Todd and Paul, to- though, totally going to hook up. Uh, totally going to happen. It's I, already I'm, been hinted that two of the three of them are going to get back together. And I honestly, because Billy doesn't deserve either one of them. No, I'd, I'd be quite happy with Todd and Paul and then for them both to move away. <laughs> Except I like Todd when he's with George. Right, and I like Paul when he was with he's with his family and Ed. He's yeah. good with Ed as well. He's good with Ed, and he's good with Gemma right. and Bernie. Let's move on because we've been talking about that for long. And enough. I guess Chesney. Who? Chauncey. There we go. Our next storyline this morning evening is densest fur in the animal kingdom. Uh, what? You've got to respect that. <laughs> on Monday, Sam and Hope are chatting about John's tape, reminding us all of the tape that she has of his voice. But the it's left tape. her with so many questions. <coughs> At home, Hope has had an early departure from school because of a leaky pipe or something. She asks what John Stapes' favourite dinner was, but Fizz doesn't want to talk about it. And when Fizz listens to and when Hope listens to her tape, the recorder chews it up and not realising what's happened or how to fix it because she's like ten. Right. She and runs it's away distraught. Twenty twenty three. So Fizz calls Tyrone to have a look at it, worried that she didn't handle the question about John Stapes' favourite dinner very well. Tyrone fixes the tape and then presses play. Ty's confused, but Fizz recognises the voice. Turn it off, Ty. Turn Turn it it off. off. So the two of them are taken back by all this, hearing this voice from beyond the grave. Beyond the grave. It even takes them a minute to figure out where she got the tape from. Mm. Hope isn't answering her phone, so they decide that she must be with Sam. And they go round to Nick's. So, coaxed by Nick and Fizz, Sam agrees to grass Hope right up, explaining that she just wanted to get to know her dad a bit better, and this tape was the only way she could do that, especially as Fizz never wants to talk about it. Parent of the year. You're a good friend to Sam, says Fizz. How'd you fancy <laughs> having a go at being her mum? You're a good you're a good friend to Hope. Yeah. Not Sam, because he is Sam. Yes. At home. Hope is amazed to find that she's not in trouble, but she's further amazed when she's presented with the rest of the tape shite that the journalist amassed and handed back that has now, for the last few weeks, been in Gemma's house. How 
on earth did that journalist get that picture of John Stape and, and Fizz that looked like a personal picture? Got it from the Coronation Street archives. Ah. Hope is cock-a-hoop. And now Fizz has to listen to the tapes and handle the questions that she's been avoiding for years, such as John's favourite dinner, his favourite animal. Fizz lands on cat, but maybe let's don't investigate that too much. No. Their song was I'll Be Missing You by Puff Daddy or P. Diddy. And Hope hasn't a fucking clue what she's talking about. Which is weird because Diddy is still a thing. No, I can see that Hope would not have a clue. Or is it Sean? Is it just Sean Combs now? Who cares? He hasn't been relevant in about 20 years, so... Well, he's still relevant as a producer. Wednesday, then, Tyrone, Fizz... <laughs> I've got Cher written down here. Who's Cher? <laughs> Cher? Cher She's and Gemma are having pints in the pub. <laughs> I Sh- can see it happening. I must mean Chauncey. <laughs> and the John Stape stuff. And Hope's desire to know her family. This makes them all reminisce, particularly Chesney, about Les and Schmeichel, his dog. And this gets Tyrone thinking. I just imagine it Chesney in, in that big, the big head dress that that and bikini thing that Cher wore to the Oscars that one time. See, I'm imagining Chauncey sitting on a cannon on an aircraft carrier. I don't know why. <laughs> because he'd like to turn back time. So back home, Tyrone floats the idea of the, ga- the girls getting a pet to give them the love that he and Fizz's parents are incapable of providing. <laughs> Thrilled by the suggestion, Hope and Ruby and Tyrone head off to pet shops that don't exist anymore. To get a fish. Fizz shouts at them to get a fish. But instead, Tyrone and the girls come home with a chinchilla. Densest fur in the animal kingdom, you've got to respect that. And they call it Scylla, the chinchilla. What the very fucking hell is that, says Fizz. And she's furious, knowing that she'll be the one left to clean out the cage. But Hope has been given that responsibility, or the chinchilla will be flushed. Hope <laughs> introduces herself to Scylla the chinchilla Dobbs and calls herself Hope Dobbs. And the fact that she's agreed to change her name is enough to satisfy Father of the Year, Tyrone. And he's quite pleased. Yes, he is. And then Hope is nasty to poor Ruby, saying that she's not allowed to hold the chinchilla, even though the Ever. chinchilla was for both of them. Right. On Friday at the factory, Fizz hasn't slept well thanks to Scylla, the nocturnal chinchilla. Apparently it shits for England. Sally is worried about Fizz and Tyrone getting their hold for some reason. And also Sally doesn't know that goldfish are carp. So when Stephen gets, uh, gives Fizz and the other nickel, knicker people an early mark, Fizz nips over to the garage to suggest that she and Tyrone nip home for the hole, which leaves Kev and Abby to take care of Mr. Massey's MOT, but not like that. And also for Abby to grab Kev's ass. Yeah, she over and over and over again. She checks Kev's ass. She likes what she sees. Yep. She's still on the muck. (laughs) It reminded me of all the times that I'm grabbing your ass. Yeah. Yeah. So they go home, but the mood is ruined when the living room is stinking a chinchilla shite. Yes. Fizz goes off with the marigolds. And not to use the one Tyrone. Mm. Later, Ty is covered in sawdust and chinchilla shite. So they make do with a lovely cup of tea. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I quite like the fact that there's a chinchilla. I didn't even know that that was legal. Chinchillas. I'm not sure that it is. No, it is. Well, Well, it is over there. I don't think it is over here. So there's not pet shops. I don't think you can get pet shops anymore. Well, you certainly can't buy cats and dogs at pet shops. But I remember going to, like, home base 
of B&Q or someplace like that, and they'd have like a fish section and they'd have a budgie section. Was that? I think that was that. Yeah, we have pet and shops. And I think there was a chinchilla section there. So I think it must be legal. Yeah. Well, we have we have the big Prius pet shop, which is in the same neighborhood as Elderly, your favorite place to shop. Yeah. For I just don't think that tars. pet they, shops are really sustainable anymore. They have tarantulas. Prius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, a lot of lizards. You 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 can buy dogs and cats still. I mean, we have we know people who sell bot cats, but I don't think that's really sustainable anymore either. Really, not as a shop. No, because it was Kynax the pet shop, and still in that I remember as a kid that used to have puppies in the window and yeah. stuff, and that has long been gone because it's kind of cruel keeping puppies in the window and stuff. I guess. Yeah. And then you're. You're never too sure who you're giving them to and all that. Right, and you're never too sure where they came from, Mm. like puppy mills and stuff. It's not nice to think about. Puppy mills sounds nice. Where you mill puppies? I just think of a field with puppies playing in it and there's a little little mill in the background. Some some delightful... ambient music playing is that like when your parents told you that that your old dog went to live at a farm upstate we didn't have upstates in the, in scotland well, we just had the toilet <laughs> up you didn't your parents never flushed a puppy down the toilet they fucking tried <laughs> are are we worried about Scylla the chinchilla i'm worried that hope's gonna kill her but accidentally I, I don't think Hope would intentionally kill. Hope has already forgotten her... Um, Dead father. Well, she's, she's forgotten that, but she's already forgotten her chore to, to clean Scylla's cage out. Right. My fear is that Scylla will be out of the cage while it is being cleaned at some point. Cerberus will eat Scylla, and then Hope will kill Cerberus. Oh. Yeah, that's a little bit more and complex then, than I had in mind. And then Evelyn will kill Hope. Evelyn was quite funny the little it's bit the that she was in the circle of life. And the topic getting a pet, and she's like, "Hello, what'd you call this?" Right. And but Tyrone's right, that's your dog, right? That's not the kid's dog. Yeah, but the dog lives in the house, and they pet the dog, and they help take care of the dog, or they should be helping take care of the dog. They're not doing that. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next story, which is Daisy and the DJ. On Monday, Daisy is sure now that she won't be bothered by the DJ again after she got him told last week but she has to think twice when another bouquet is delivered to the rovers panic over though as the flowers are for jenny they're from teddy to say thank you for everything yes isn't that nice it is nice good old teddy long may he live later though yet another bouquet is delivered and this one is collected by daniel who wonders who justin is and why he's written a card saying he can't stop thinking about daisy Tizzy thinks on her feet and said that Justin is a florist, a happily married florist. And Daniel is so stupid that he thinks that explains the flowers in the card when it doesn't explain it at all, really. No. Later, after talking with Glenda and Jenny, Daisy writes a text to the DJ telling him once and for all that he ain't getting access to her underpants and he can fuck right off. Dell. Yes. On Wednesday, through the back of the rovers, Daisy and Daniel are working on the guest list. Daniel is inviting Bertie, probably, 
Daisy's side is full of influencers because Daisy's an influencer, remember? Right, yeah, and she has no real friends. Those aren't pals, says Jenny, and Daniel agrees. Daisy points out that she used to have friends one time, long ago. She has, she has Glenda and, and Gemma, who they who are co-workers, I guess. Yeah, they're co-workers and, and stepmother. Later, privately, Daniel tells Jenny that he's had the bright idea to secretly invite all of Daisy's old pals to the wedding because if there's one thing that brides love, it surprises at their wedding. Jenny thinks this is a True. smashing idea, so gives some names to Daniel. Back through the back now, Daniel is searching through her old school's alumni page and Daisy comes in, sees what's going on and goes Raj, telling Daniel that he had no right but I'm only looking for people you don't talk to anymore for some reason, shouts Daniel. Right. Eventually, she explains that after her dad died, all her pals decided that she was milking her grief for attention. Dreary Daisy, they called her, or something. Daniel is in tears at this. Daisy Downer. Right. Daniel is in tears at this emotional outburst and admission and promises to retract all the invitations that he's already sent out. I didn't think any invitations had been sent out. They haven't gotten their invitations yet. Oh. You have to order those. It's like you'd emailed them or something. Right, yeah, but that's not like a formal invitation. No. What is wrong with Daniel? On Friday, Daisy is still an influencer. She's taken a picture of her ring to post online. Because she's wearing a different nail polish and she's asking their opinion about whether or not the nail polish goes with the ring. Apparently she's already shown her ring to the entire pub. But not like that. There we go. Daniel comes in to give Daisy a smooch, have a quick finger of a ring, and then is off to work. Exactly like that. Glenda, who thinks Daisy should come clean about the DJ, gives Daisy a bit of a stern look. And not long after, a delivery guy arrives in the Rovers with more flowers for Daisy, and we can tell that they're from the same person because they have the same piss-poor imagination. Right. More Daisies for Daisy. Right. The message is getting creepy now. Glenda calls it unwanted attention and tells Daisy to be brutal this time. But Daisy plans to hit him where it hurts and post a takedown on his socials and she lets Todd do it. Because Todd's there, drunk because of another storyline. That we've already talked about. Yeah. And of course, it goes viral while Todd gets slowly moolered. The DJ comes in furious with Daisy, claiming not to know what Daisy's been talking about. It turns out the DJ isn't called Justin after all. He's called Keith. Yes. Finally. Finally, we have our Keith. Keith the DJ. Keith the DJ. To make matters more interesting, in comes Daniel, who recognises the DJ from the photograph that was taken the other week. Keith says that Daisy must have been flirting with Justin and begs her to take the post down. Daniel is confused because he thought Keith was gay. Keith is saying, I've got half a mind to become gay. Right, and, and Todd says... Very interested in Todd says, me too. Right, he was quite funny. <laughs> it was great. Through the back, Daniel isn't angry with Daisy. He knows that Daisy is a flirt and he knows that She's a flirt with people to get what she wants. Right, and he's like, you flirt with men and women. He's just disappointed, and he's upset that some creep is sending her flowers. And I don't know why they don't know that the person that's sending the flowers is that Insta follower that we've, right. we've seen his name a, a couple of times already. Right, yeah. It's Whatever not it that hard to figure out. Mm -hmm. And also, she should absolutely call the police and say, you know, I'm being stalked. I'm getting this unwanted attention from a stranger because that's how people get murdered. 
with stalkers that they don't know, giving them unwanted attention and nobody following up on it and nobody paying attention. Yeah, the police aren't going to touch that. They should, though. At least have it on file. (laughs) Police aren't there to protect people. That's for another podcast. Assets. I wonder what the whole uh, Daisy's friend thing seemed to be that was kind of in the middle of the Justin slash Keith stuff that happened on Monday and Friday. We had this little bit on Wednesday where Daisy turns out to not have been popular because her dad died and she was sad about it. It wasn't her dad. It was was her little baby brother. Oh, was it? Yeah, Tom was her baby brother. It wasn't her dad. Oh, I thought it was her dad. (laughs) I think I said that. I think you did. And I think I I forgot to catch you up on it. That's fine. No, her brother died? Her little baby brother. Remember? No. They had this whole thing earlier when Daisy first moved in. I wasn't listening to what she said when she moved in. I didn't like her. Yeah, but there was this whole thing and that's what bonded her and Jenny. Because remember, Jenny has a dead baby as well. Because everybody has a dead baby on the street. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They really do need to get that water checked. But... Yes. I shouldn't be laughing at that. Because it's your own joke? (laughs) No, because because dead babies aren't funny. You're still laughing. I'm laughing at you. I didn't say anything. (laughs) Exactly. But you made a face. So... Yeah, it, I mean, I can kind of understand this, especially in high school, you know, because kids don't know. Kids don't understand grief. At, at the very least, maybe one of their grandparents die, but it's not like your little brother dies. So I can I can see they're wrong, but they're wrong because they don't understand at this point and nobody is nobody is correcting them. Mm-hmm. But I can I can see why Daisy wouldn't want to associate with those people anymore, even though they've probably grown up at this point. And yeah, it was a very long time po- ago, right? And if it was pointed out to them, they'd probably feel very bad about it. But you know, nobody's pointing it out to them. Daniel is just going to be snarky about them being on the B list. Yeah, Daniel's chosen to be passive aggressive about it, right? Instead of saying, "I'm sorry, I thought this would be a good thing," but unfortunately because i spoke to daisy she hates you all right because you were cruel to her when her brother died no harm done apart from her brother dying right yes her brother Mm -hmm. tom thomas yes thomas daisy (laughs) thomas midgley wouldn't it be i think so you're just showing off with your cory knowledge these days You sure it was her brother? Yes, it was her brother. Because her dad wasn't dead. Because her dad was still married to Jenny. No, there's something just a little fishy about this friend thing, I think. I don't know. There's something that's just... I don't know if it sits right. There's something... I feel like there's something we're not... That we don't know yet about this. It just seems a very strange thing to bring up and then deal with immediately. When was the last time Corey brought something up and dealt with it immediately? So my, my temptation is not to believe the first reason that they give you. When Alia was blown up by a bomb. You think that was dealt with? <laughs> yes, because she was all better, like, five mm. minutes later, when she was wandering the streets and Craig found her. 
I'm not sure. But I thought it's a shame that we're probably not going to see Keith the DJ again because I thought he was, was pretty hilarious. funny. That uh, was hilarious. And the little interaction with Todd was, was that great. That was great. And I do like Glenda's insistence that find them here's a here's a Here's an idea Tell just out, out of left field. Tell them the truth. No, I can't do that. All right, moving on. Our next storyline is Enter the Damon. On Monday, there's a little altercation in Nina's roles between Carla and Damon over whether a new or existing customer takes precedence with an order. Got to say it's a new customer. Right, yeah. Especially, Got to say it's a new customer. Especially when you're sitting down. You're sitting down. You've already had your thirst quenched by right. one cuppa. Yeah. Yeah, I think Carla I think, is definitely in the right here. I think so. She doesn't entertain Damon for one moment. At the Beast Leanne is fuming that Jacob hasn't shown up for his shift, and Nick keeps quiet about his whereabouts, even though he knows that right, he's done yeah. a runner. Later, Leanne complains about Jacob to Simon. Simon loves this because, despite the fact <laughs> that he'd kind of made up and kind right. of been friends. He doesn't seem like he loves it, though. I don't know. I thought you took a little bit of pleasure in it. They, pa- they pass Amy, who confirms that she's split with Jacob and he's fucked off somewhere now that he's dealing drugs again. Good riddance, says Simon. And Damon is next to bump into Amy and he offers his condolences, finding it unbelievable that Jacob was dealing drugs again. And Carla comes along, ignores Damon and his quip, and tells Amy not to let the Jacob debacle sour her. As soon as possible, slap a smile on your face again and get out there. She's got a lot to live for. And Amy's like, can I get that printed on a t-shirt? And she wanders off. As she should, because nobody should just be slapping a smile on their face before they're ready. We just learned that with Daisy. Mm -hmm. And really, Carla knows this about as well as anyone. Seriously. Are they trying to introduce a little tension there between Damon and Carla? Kind of felt that way. Mm. Carla's not interested. Oh, one little bit. No. And then I lost my notes for Wednesday for the storyline somehow. But what I can remember about it was that Nick gets Ryan to do some digging on Damon's Ibiza businesses. Yes. And Ryan discovers that Damon actually, rather than being someone who cleans up clubs, he's a big time drug dealer and not afraid to get violent if needs be. Right. Yeah. Nick, and put somebody in a hospital. Nick accuses Damon of being behind the drugs at the bistro last week rather than Jacob. And Damon tells him to get used to it because that's going to be happening quite a lot from now on. Right. And if Nick doesn't like it, Damon will tell Leanne about the money and get Nick booted to fuck into the bargain. Which is what Nick should say, fine. Yes. You know what? I'll go tell her right now because you shouldn't be hiding things from your partner. Nick suspects it was maybe a bad idea taking a loan from the guy convicted for murdering his son's mother. Meanwhile, Leanne, Nick and Damon all put their heads together and come up with an all-you-can-drink night idea for the bistro to boost their shite January numbers. Do you think Harvey was really beat up? Yeah, we kind of saw it. Well, we didn't see we it happen. We didn't see it but happen. But we saw the guy go into the, right. into the cell with a, was it a, right. a table leg or something. Yeah, because, I mean, it kind of feels like this was all planned, doesn't it? It feels like Harvey and Damon are kind of in this together, doesn't it? No. Because Harvey's the one who actually gave him the money. Nick, that is. No, it, it, it feels like a, a badly planned storyline that's been kind of fucked by Jacob leaving. Hmm. It feels like Harvey and Damon are still in cahoots because we don't get to see Harvey get beat up 
and we don't get to see Harvey. We don't we don't get to see the aftermath of Harvey getting beat up. We don't see Harvey with bruises and stuff. That's true, but it's on the news because Leanne hears about it on the news. I thought somebody called her from the prison. No, it was on, it was on the news. Hmm. But it's kind of left ambiguous enough that if they want to retcon it into something else at a later date, they can probably still do that. And, oh, absolutely. And get away with it. Yeah, I'm not really liking Damon. No. I was liking him to start with. Like I said, he was that kind of cheeky chappy. Right. Oh, he doesn't know where the line is and he kind of muddies it in lots of grey areas and stuff, but he's just a wrong one. And I don't know that we need more drugs in this show. And it's just... And more drug dealers. Drugs and drug dealers are are pretty boring. It's drugs, drug dealers, or, you know, mental health, or women being, you know, abused in some way or exploited in some way. Mm. It's it's like, because someone on the internet, you know, was saying that, you know, they wished that Toya that the whole Toya thing would turn out that she had some sort of mental illness that caused her to kill Imran. And it's like, I just, I don't want anybody else to have a mental illness on the show anymore. No. I, we, we have enough and we have so many that the show has forgotten about some of them and just totally ignores the fact that they are supposed to have a mental illness. Looking at you, Craig. <laughs> right. The only one they remember is Peter. Because alcoholism is fun. No, I think you're right. I think Nick should... Nick's method of dealing with this should either be tell Leanne or tell Leanne and the police at the same time. Right. Yeah. 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 But that'll never happen because then you don't have a story. Well, there's a big time drug dealer. Like a, like a big time right. drug dealer. Right. On who's who's importing drugs from Spain, even. Italy. You get this mixed up every time? Ibiza's in Italy? Oh, no. <laughs> it was me that got it mixed up that time. Because Ibiza's in Spain. Yes. It's It's Stephen, who's from Italy. Yes. Yes. But the heroine... No, the heroine's from Italy. No, the heroine's from Spain. No, I think the, I think the heroine's from Italy. I think he said it's, the, olive it's the finest... No, it was the finest Italian produce, he said. Yeah, that's that's the olive oil. I think it's the heroin. It doesn't matter. Are so, they growing poppies in Italy? Is I, the climate right for that? I, I, I don't thought know. they think I thought I, think I thought poppies preferred something drier. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> poppies, in fact, were on that map of edible plants in Iran. Oh, there's a callback for there this week. Go. There we go. Callback <laughs> of the week. Boring callback of the week. <laughs> no, this is a big time drug dealer. This, this is worse than Harvey, bigger than Harvey. And remember, they really wanted Harvey. Right. Because they wanted Harvey so much that, that Leanne had to be basically bait for it. Right. And Natasha dies because of this. Right. Kind of. And then Sharon takes it over. If Sharon has taken this 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 drug dealing family over, why haven't we seen her? Why hasn't anybody mentioned her? Nobody's mentioned her. Is this a possible comeback for Sharon? Nobody has mentioned her. 
Harvey. I, I could live without Sharon coming back in here because Sharon, when she came back in the last time, remember she was just she was just she wandering really about. Big. She was wandering about trying to get uh, logged into Sam's Xbox Live account <laughs> and stuff. Remember, it was just absolutely ridiculous. That was great compared to this. Ah, sure. All right, our penultimate storyline tonight is Gemma's bright idea, finally. <laughs> On Friday, it is fucking shitballs crazy at the quad house, and that's before Michael arrives with Glory. Joseph looks like he's about to run away from home again, but no one notices. Michael pays Gemma 60 quid to look after his kid, and Gemma's so cock-a-hoop about it that she's ready to make it rain. Bernie gets home from work and there are a million children in the front room, but they're actually all fairly well behaved and quiet. Yes, because they're painting. has done some research on what childminders earn and about a week after it should have, it finally twigs. Gemma has had an idea. Gemma has given toddlers paints. <laughs> she sets up an ad for a BSL-friendly childminding service. Chauncey comes home and is impressed with the idea. Gemma announces that the next step is for her to get her certificates and then book the wedding in Ibiza. And within four seconds of posting the ad, Gemma already has five million messages all wanting childcare services from her. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. At least she mentions getting her certificates. At, at, At least the show acknowledges that Gemma is smart enough to know she has to get certification. Yeah, stuff that she doesn't currently have. Right. But she's already advertising. I think she probably needs insurance as well. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Do you know, it makes sense. If you're going to have four, possibly five kids in that house, you might as well have a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. And Gemma's good with kids. But how is she going to do this and also work at the Rovers and also work in the kebab shop? Well, is she still working in the kebab shop? I think they're all working in the kebab shop. But I think if she's getting in an extra 180 quid a day. Yeah, she from, can quit those other things. Absolutely. Which makes me sad because Gemma belongs in the Rovers. She does. And we don't get to see her there enough these days. She was there last week, but that's only so that she would be in the room when Debbie came in with that <laughs> offer of free drinks. Yes. And then so she could be the comic relief and get very drunk. Mm-hmm. Which what? <sighs> All right. Well, we shall see where that goes next week. But I, I'm getting the idea that our British Sign Language friendly childminding service is very much the hot potato in Weatherfield. All right. Our final storyline this week is Tim's mum about the house. On Monday, Stephen arrives early at the Rovers to see how Teddy is doing. His memory still hasn't returned since the last time Stephen asked, which was five minutes ago. Later, Rita is packing her car with stuff for the charity shop, and the passing Stephen asks how Teddy is doing, and then offers his services since he got that roof rack thing from Audrey. Rita and Jenny think this is an incredibly generous offer and accept his help. What a gentleman, says Rita. He's always really helpful Mm. and very polite. Yes, and knows how to pack a car. And buttocks to die for. Mm. A successful trip to the charity shop later. And well, it is Rita. I'm looking at it right now. And Rita, my buttocks are better than Stephen's. Yes. Well, 
Amongst other things. I'm putting that on a t-shirt. <laughs> and Rita offers to buy Stephen a drink at the bistro. He would rather go to the Rovers, as it'll let him find out how Teddy's doing. So at the Rovers, Stephen goes to check on Teddy, which allows Rita and Jenny to chat a bit about Stephen. Rita thinking that Jenny should be all over that. Jenny said that she'd fuck it in a flash, but he has his eye on Tim's mum. And also, Jenny is not ready to move on yet from Leo. Apparently, Leo's side of the bed is still warm. Yes. It's been months, Jenny. (laughs) On Wednesday, Stephen... And she doesn't know that he's dead. Stephen is minding his own business in Nina's roles when Tim's mum appears. She worries that he's been keeping his distance since the money stuff, and she asks to take him out for lunch to clear the air, and he grudgingly accepts. So in the pub later, he complains to Gail about this, saying that he felt obligated to have lunch with Tim's mum, who he fears has desires to get into his underpants, and this is overheard by Teddy. Right, yes, and Gail recommends he pretend he's gay, which was hilarious. So when Stephen and Tim's mum are about to have lunch, Teddy inserts himself into the booth, talking loudly to Stephen about an argument they're supposedly having about the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. The Kinks. Miffed by the intrusion, Tim's mum leaves after registering her vote for the Beatles. Teddy explains that he overheard the conversation with Gail, although he says, your sister. And I don't know how Teddy knows that. But anyway. Everybody knows that. They look exactly alike. He says he was just bailing Stephen out. I owe you a pint, says Stephen, which I think is the worst thing that Stephen has said. What a horrible thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a nice person. He's already killed one person. He's tried to drug his mother. He's stolen money from his mother. And he's exploited other people on the street. We already know he's horrible. That Canadian Ohio accent, though, that goes a long way. No, it doesn't. This happens quite a Do bit, and it's, a, and it's supposed to be funny that but people overhear things, and so, oh well, I'm going to, I'm going to do him a favour that he doesn't know that I'm doing, and he hasn't asked for, right? And it's kind of annoying, and you think that Stephen's going to be appalled by this, right? But instead, offers to buy him a pint, right? Yes. Do you think people actually find Stephen's voice exotic and attractive? Do British people find American accents attractive? Well, they're they're out of the norm. I think that's pretty much what exotic is, isn't it? Right, yeah, but attractive? Do you find my voice attractive? As they're at the bar... <laughs> <laughs> of course I do. But you don't have an American accent. I don't hear your voice with an American accent. Right. I still hear your Scottish accent. <laughs> It's not quite as heavy. It's not quite Alan Cumming anymore. It's mellowed to a, a um, like an Ewan McGregor. Ian McGregor. Yeah, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Yeah, that's what I said. Ewan so McGregor. Said Ian McGregor. No. So I was listening to my Alawa podcast. Uh huh. Driving steadily home from bowling, some fucking bowling thing that she's doing. And she's like, oh, you're listening to your Alawa podcast. Uh-huh. And I said, do I sound like these guys? And she said, no, you're not as you're not as Scottish as them. You don't sound as Scottish as them. Correct. Because you've lived here for over 10 years now. Yeah, nearly 11. Yeah. Anyway, 
As they're at the bar, Daisy wanders by with a bucket of mulled wine and this triggers a memory for Teddy who now remembers seeing Stephen before he got flattened by that speeding minivan. I can't believe she's tried to sell mulled wine that's over two weeks old. It's a month old, pretty much. (laughs) That's disgusting. Over the next few scenes around various chatting spots in the show, Teddy remembers bits and bobs but is unable to piece it all together and still has no idea where Cinco Leo is. He makes a decision to go back to Canada, realising that he'll never be able to settle until he knows his boy is okay. Belter, says Stephen, and at this point, I thought Stephen was actually happy that Teddy was going to fuck off to Canada. Yeah, because that would get... I don't understand why Stephen has... Why is he still there? Why is he there? Why is he still there? It's not... He got his money from the... From the... The five guys, burgers and fries. Mm-hmm. Six fellas. <laughs> they sue. They won't sue us. But <laughs> we could sue them because of the lack of peanuts. Um, <laughs> peanuts. Either, either or, I'm, I'm not sure we have much of a case. But, <laughs> but you know, why is he still there? He's got some money. Leave. I thought he'd already booked a ticket, and he hasn't. And no, it, he looked it up. He didn't hit the buy button. He, it does not benefit him to still be there. If he goes away, and then somebody finds Leo's body eventually, nobody's going to accuse him. Well, the thing is, Teddy's going to remember one way or the other, whether right. Stephen's there or not. Right. And one could argue that constantly being in Teddy's face yeah. is likely to trigger something yeah. sooner or later. And maybe exactly. it's just best for him to just to get the fuck out of Dodge. Right. And forget about it. And hide. And then nobody knows where he is. In Canada. It's a big place. Or Italy. Where they can import N- heroin or something. Not as big. Correct. Right. And and you could you could build a meth lab in Canada. So if, if that's the path that he wants to go down. Right, yes. So at this point, I'm thinking, Stephen's all for this. You'll give him a ride to the airport. Right. On Friday, it's early morning again, and Stephen has dropped in at the Rovers to see how Teddy's doing again. He's full of fine fettle and ready to jump on a plane as soon as he gets a cancellation. Stephen thinks Teddy should check with his doctor before travelling, but Teddy will not be dissuaded. So now I'm thinking Stephen wants Teddy to stay. But this just makes it worse for him. I don't know. Stephen is berating the knicker people for chatting about their private lives when Tim's mum, who let's remember doesn't work at the factory, comes into the factory with coffees and pastries and wants to chat. He reminds her that it's the middle of the working day and she she takes a bit of a strop at this and fucks off. Bitches and hoes, says Stephen. So Teddy's managed to get a cancellation and he's off to Canada to go door to door looking for Cinco Leo. Stephen appears and offers to take Teddy for a farewell cup of choo-choo. Teddy and Jenny think this is perfectly normal behaviour. Right. Meanwhile, Tim's mum is in the rovers complaining to Tim about Stephen and reveals that she lent him 12 grand. Jenny overhears all this and hears Tim's mum worry about the money coming between her and Stephen. And Tim thinks that Stephen is at it. In Nina's roles, Stephen tells Teddy that Cinco Leo doesn't give a fuck about Teddy and he's wasting his time and money bothering Canadians for no reason. Teddy eventually agrees and takes Stephen's advice to go home to Stockport and forget all about the stuff that he hasn't already forgotten about. He, Stephen has obviously forgotten. Canadians don't mind. <laughs> They're very helpful people. Stephen leaves 
and Billy, who was sitting at the next table, tells Teddy it's just a shame that he didn't have a tracking app, and this triggers something in Teddy. And Billy also says, oh, families, eh? Yeah. Like, you're fucking want to talk, Billy. Right, well, that's what he says. He's like, you know, my daughter, my daughter just got kidnapped and almost died. Because she was going to be a surrogate for these crazy people. And the crazy people, the guy was dabbing sugar on her lips. Oh my God. You have no idea. But she did write, fuck you, Mike, in her own shite on the wall. So, But then again. It all cancels itself out. But again, this is someone sitting at a different table overhearing somebody else's conversation Mm -hmm. and butting in. With Carla gone. Sarah comes along and checks with Stephen to see if she and Michael can use the factory on the quiet to print some labels for an important meeting. Stephen agrees and sends the knicker of people home because he's in such a good mood because he's getting rid of Teddy. Stephen is leaving the factory and sees Teddy there. He tells Stephen that he remembers now. He remembers everything. He knows that Stephen has done something to his sinkhole Leo. He remembers the triangulation thing that his mate at the special branch mentioned to him and he remembers telling Stephen about it and he remembers not seeing Sinkhole Leo in Canada. Why would Stephen lie? Stephen invites Teddy inside, saying that he can explain everything. So I had thought that Teddy had gone to the police on a more official basis. Right. But it seems now that he's just had a word with his mate right. who works for the police, who told him about the whole triangulation thing. Mm-hmm. But it seems to have put some effort into it because the triangulation thing pointed at the rovers. Right, yes. Yes. And now Teddy, who knows that Stephen has done something to his son, goes with Stephen inside a dark, unoccupied factory yes. where people have already died. Meanwhile, seemingly apropos of nothing, Audrey goes into the rovers looking for Stephen and passes on a message to Jenny that she needs her car back because she's off to the Peak District to visit her friend Bev. Back at the factory, Teddy demands answers. Stephen lied to give Teddy closure, he says, but Teddy thinks Stephen sent the text to make it look like Cinco Leo was in Canada and Stephen killed him to get into Jenny's underpants. Teddy threatens to go to the police, so Stephen smashes Teddy's head in with a hole punch. And either dead or unconscious, Stephen has to leave him when Michael comes in to print those stupid labels. Right, yeah. So Stephen gets rid of him, telling him that Carla's on her way back, Michael realising that he can conduct his business meeting in the pub instead. Stephen gives Michael the punch. Right, which, if he'd hit... If he'd really been one punch man and hit Teddy hard enough to kill him or knock him unconscious, there should be hair and blood stuck to the underneath of that hole punch. And if Teddy's dead... A bit of brain, maybe? Yes. Some skull? And also, there should be blood on the floor. But <sighs> but the murder weapon what the now has the fingerprints of Michael right. all over it. Right. Yeah. And like you, the police love a bit of fingerprints. Right, yes. Especially if it means that they can finger a black dude for the, for the murder. <laughs> right. So... Michael is sent this on his way show. and then Stephen goes back to the office and stands over Teddy's body and breaks down and cries because he's killed another person. But this time we see that all of this is on the factory CCTV. 
<laughs> so next we see Stephen, he's struggling to get the roof box into the back of Audrey's car. And this is the first bit that I saw of this week's episode, of Friday's episode. Because I was busy doing other things. The VPN, you paying attention. the VPN wasn't really working. When it finally started to work, I was looking at Stephen trying to get that roof box into the back of the car. I was like, oh, surely not. Surely Teddy's not in that, in that roof box. Yes, he is. Yeah. How how did he smush him in there? <laughs> did he bring the did he bring the roof box into the factory and then drag it out of the factory? Yes. Yes, he did. And people noticed this, right? But he's obviously struggling to get like a two hundred pound roof box into the back of Audrey's car. Right. So much so that Kevin, Abby, and Tim see him struggling and give him a hand. Right. But they don't put him into the the boot they lift him up and put him <laughs> on the roof which is where it should go so the, the corpse of so it's just sinkhole teddy so it's just, is now on the roof of Audrey's car so it's just national lampoon vacation all over it's again just a little bit it's clark griswold's granny <laughs> in her rocking chair <laughs> so tim takes an opportunity to warn stephen of tim's mum and then Jenny arrives to tell Stephen that Audrey needs a car and she needs to talk to him about the contents of our roof box. Stephen, Stephen paps his knickers. Stephen has told Kev and Abby and Tim that it's uh, sewing, machines sewing machines that, that need to be repaired. And nobody questions this. It, except, for, except for Abby. Well, they do question it, but they don't question right. it enough. Yeah, Abby does say, well, why don't you take one out and put it in the boot and then it'll be lighter. And... I don't know. I don't remember what Stephen's excuse is, but Abby seems to go with it. Uh, he, he dropped the key. Oh, so it's locked. Right. So how is he planning he, on getting right, them out? Right. 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 This is a this is a very temporary excuse. Right? How are they all just mesmerized by that accent? <laughs> so, privately, Jenny thinks Stephen is stealing sewing machines to repay his debts, which is actually remarkable enough for it to be possibly true right she heard tim's mum tell tim about the 12 grand thing stephen swears that he's not stealing anything and explains what happened with gabrielle and sarah's business and all that stuff he admits to fancying tim's mum but not like that jenny offers her ear and possibly the contents of her underpants if stephen's interested so by the time he deals with all this and he finally leaves the factory he discovers that audrey's taken her car to visit her friend <laughs> bev who lives in the peak It really is National Lampoon's vacation. <laughs> and that's how we end this week's episodes. And this, I was howling in laughter. This was hilarious. He just has no luck with cars, does he? Or, or killing people. <laughs> he seems to have good luck with that because <laughs> two out of two. It's gone through, it's gone through a thing called Leo's family. It's a good thing his mum was already dead. Do you think he'll kill the awful housemates next? I do hope so. It's just meant to be funny. It's funny, though. It is funny. It's funny, but I don't know if it's meant to be funny. It's so... I don't know. Sally Ann Matthews seems to have been having a laugh about it on, on right. Twitter. Right. Well, because she's smart and she <laughs> understands. Yeah. It, it made me chuckle. It, it made me chuckle when he was crying, when he broke down and started to cry. Right, because he was dead. 
It's like, well, what did you expect? You gave him a head wound. That's the only way to kill somebody it on is, the street. Is that head wound of the week? That is head wound of the week. Okay, good. Yeah, sorry, Mike. I'm glad we checked. Sorry, Mike. Who also, let's remember, Mike got pushed and knocked out briefly on those stairs. Not even a bruise. Not even some jam on his face. So last week, we had four potential head wounds. Another two this week. One that results in a death. And a death. But surprisingly, not a bomb. So It's six, a hole punch. Six head wounds in two weeks and three dead Teds in two years. That's No blood. That's pretty good going. He's dead. No blood. No blood. Not, not None. I mean, the more I think about it, the more they are playing it for last because the way that Stephen is just refusing to give Teddy an inch of his own space. Right. Constantly asking him if he's okay, constantly checking on his memory. Right. And everyone is just happy to accommodate him. Right. And answer these stupid questions. Stupid questions. Oh, dearie me. But, you know... It also kind of felt like Mike dabbing sugar on Summer's lips was played for laughs as well because it was so stupid. Mm. And it's like, it, do they realize how ridiculous these storylines are? So they're just leaning into that um, maybe a little bit too much as opposed to, you know, saying, well, look, we just need to reevaluate this and make it an actual story instead of making it camp because... <laughs> That's what it is now. It's just when Stephen comes out and the car is gone. Oh, that was just brilliant. <laughs> Audrey's, Audrey's off driving down the M6. With a dead man. With a dead man. <laughs> In the roof box, which... Smooshed into her roof box. Which the only good thing is that she can't possibly move it. Because no. it took four people to get it up there. Right. She could unlock it, though, and open the lid. <laughs> I don't know, but does this not just exacerbate the problem? Because now Jenny thinks that Teddy's going to be in Canada. So Everybody's abandoning her for Canada. Never to it be heard of again. It is a lovely place. Never to be heard of again. I wonder if Tim's mum is the, is the solution to this. I was kind of worried that Tim's mum was going to be the next person that he kills. Well, see, here's the thing. There's been so much wild speculation that it was going to be Tim's mum, mm-hmm. that it was going to be Audrey, that it was going to be Rita. Oh, Rita? What's she done? Well, well, <laughs> well it's Rita. That it was going to be Carla. Singing too much at New Year. She didn't sing at all this year. That we saw. <laughs> that it was going to be Carla. And it's like, of course, he's not going to kill one of the regulars. No. Because that would be taking risks. And doing something smart. So the fact remains, though, that he should be in Timbuktu by now. Yeah. Why are you still here? <laughs> get out. But it's like he he needs to be able to get six months without killing somebody before he can leave, and so that's it being reset to zero again. So we've got six months from now. <sighs> and his mum. Are they going to have him kill again? <sighs> Surely somebody's going to find that dead body in in the cab, in the thing, the roof thing. Well, how how long do you think it's going to take before it starts to smell? 
Because I don't think that that roof thing is going to stop it from smelling. No, but how long is Audrey going to be away? Oh, she was just going for an overnight. Right. Yeah. And it was already kind of dark by the time that she left. Right. So, yeah. Arguably, it wasn't worth her while. Hmm. Maybe, maybe <laughs> she'll stay longer because of that. But she's Bye. like Mrs. Magoo with her, with her cataracts driving about with a dead person on the she roof. She got rack. those cataracts fixed. Yeah. But it's just, it's it's Ben Chekhov's rooftop box forever, for isn't while, it? Because yeah. remember when he got it for Audrey as a Christmas present. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have a car. Right. And people are like, he doesn't have a car. And that's also a weird gift. It is a weird gift. Yeah. Why would you buy your mom a rooftop box for her car when she's an old lady who doesn't go like... I'm sure she, she bought him it. Yeah. Yeah. He, she bought him it, yeah. but then he doesn't have a car. So he put it on her car. Right. Yeah. And people are like, why? Well, this is why. So he can cart around dead bodies. I, I thought, you know, I kind of complained about the daisy stuff in the middle of the week being this kind of left field friend thing but we had the same kind of left field thing on Wednesday with this storyline when he was helping out Rita but they did that much better I thought that was a a much more easy way to bring this part of the storyline see I think that had the effect of Rita then being approving of Stephen and putting it in Jenny's ear that she should hook up with him. Yeah, I've worked on a couple it's of levels. Furthering that story. Yeah, I, I think, I think, the the Daisy and Daniel and Daisy's school friends thing, I think that is going to play out and come back because people that she didn't want to know that she was getting married are going to find out that she's getting married and are going to show up. Right, because Daniel's told them. Right. He's kind of... I don't think it's going to be those people. Right. I think it may be other people. Well, yeah. Well, that at least would make a little bit more sense than how how it's sitting at the moment. Right. Because let's remember, Jenny is not her only mother. Right. She's her stepmother, which would stand to reason that there's an actual mother out there somewhere that Mm. we've never been introduced to. Right, so we have, anyway, we have another dead character. Named Ted. Who is probably going to the, eventually, will find his way to to wherever Cinco Leo is, is disposed of. We have Tim's mum being a bit suspicious and a bit narky at, at Stephen now. And Tim is also very suspicious of... Right. Of Stephen and these, and it seems and like Jenny is a little suspicious of him now too. Now that she's found out about this money that that Tim's mum lent to Stephen, he was quite convincing about that. I thought, is right? He? But she knows because let's remember, everybody presupposes that Stephen has a lot of money, mm-hmm. and now Jenny knows that he doesn't have a lot of money. Right. Oh well. Oh well. That was the week that was Coronation Street. Absolutely. Helen, tell me, what was your moment of the week? You know what I think it is? I think it's Paul and Todd's conversation in the Rovers, where Paul talks about how, you know, initially the Kel stuff was with him all the time, and now he can go maybe six or seven hours before before it comes crashing on him again, and how 
living with Billy and Summer and being a family kind of completed him in a way that made him forget for yeah, long yeah. periods of time. That, that was, was just really a really good. good conversation. It it went somewhere. It allowed Todd some growth and, you know, nudged the two of them closer together. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. That is my moment of the week, I think. Yeah, I, I, I liked how... I liked how the show remembered that the Kel thing was a thing. Right. Because yeah. too often it, it seems to forget that. And that Paul never really got closure because Kel was never punished. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was really good. That was our... Moment of the week. Uh, moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Daisy and Daniel's guest list. Oh, that was a weird thing though on that guest list because Wendy's name was on it. Um... Daisy taking pictures of her hands and explaining to Glenda that it's because of her nail polish. I find this whole Daisy's an influencer thing remarkably stupid and unbelievable. I mean, Kim Kardashian did buy Haley's anorak, so it, you you got to think that it has something to do with Daisy. Hmm. But like the whole taking pictures of her hands, because that's just. Who's that influencing them? What's it influencing them to do? Well, she's asking her followers if the nail polish goes well with her ring. Why would you follow her? She's like a nobody working in a nowhere pub in a nowhere place. Because she's pretty and fancy and people follow people who are pretty and fancy. I don't know. Does it not take a little bit more than that? No. (sighs) But still, the whole taking pictures and like explaining to Glenda about influencers and stuff it's like it it is getting it's getting a little annoying is it michael going on about labels michael and sarah and labels because they don't have a printer in their house or they could use the law office (laughs) right yeah fuck it sarah printer labels that's our boring moment of the week the boring moment of the week well, I think that about wraps it up for another week, wouldn't you say? It had better. <laughs> Don't dab sugar on unconscious people's lips. If you've dabbed anything on an unconscious person's lips, tell us anyway. We so are we the, could have you arrested. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You, you can shout me and Helen the coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for please. links to a merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And remember, if you buy us a coffee, you can get a free book. Maybe. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We'll be back next week with more. Our talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.